If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that if you want more out of life, there is another way. What if there was a way you didn't know about? Whether you're lacking momentum in your business, getting the same results, you're in, you're out, you don't have a supportive environment, people aren't encouraging you to live your dream, or you're tired of not living into your gifts, you're doing something that's unfulfilling, but you want a life that excites you, I know I can help. All you have to do is get on a call with somebody from my team that's going to help you understand the strategies and tactics of success. Go to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, and we're going to help you rock your money and your life. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead, rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, and let's get started today. We have one of our graduates, one of our millionaire mentors in the group now. Yeah, Bryce Stewart. He's been featured on Bigger Pockets. He's an author. He's a father of a tribe of young ladies. And you're going to hear how he went from teacher to entrepreneur and now back to teacher a little bit. So, Bryce, welcome. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rock, for that introduction. That's true. I, uh, I was a sixth grade public school teacher in my former uh, career, and I managed to use um, house hacking to, to become financially independent, financially free. And uh, the reason that I'm a teacher again, as Rock referenced, is that my wife and I have four daughters who are all elementary school aged, and they've been home for the last year in the midst of COVID. And we elected to uh, homeschool them. So now I'm back teaching again. And actually, it's ironic, Rock. My wife doesn't, is not a trained teacher. She didn't go to school for that. She's better at teaching our girls than I am. I'm kind of a backup uh, in the midst of COVID here. So that's a well, funny detail for it. One thing I know about you is you've always, you know, cast such admiration for, for you know, the women and the girls in your life. Um, and... Mm wife of course is what i mean and uh you be you're always humble so i'm sure you are an amazing teacher as you are a great communicator and let's talk a little bit take people down memory lane because the reason i like to interview people like yourself is because stories lend evidence for other people to be able to transition to the higher version of themselves and i've never met anybody that didn't want more they want more of something more time more freedom more peace of mind more money, and you have gone on a journey of creating more choices for your family because you chose to win the money game. And I like to help people win the money game by making them aware that they're actually in the game. And a lot of people don't know that that money is really a bit of a game. I'm gonna talk a little bit about how you can win it from Monday to Sunday in a little metaphor. But first let's talk about when you came across M1, our mastermind group, you were a teacher, you were dabbling in real estate, um, and then things kind of accelerated. Talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, well, for the, those of you who are listening to this, I just want to say uh, you're. I think you're on the right path. It means you're consciously investigating how to improve the money aspect of your life. I really do think that that's the first step, Rock, is awareness that you're in, as you said, the game. Uh, if you uh, one of the big mental changes for me, Rock, was when I started calling myself an investor. It sounds like a strange and small change, but I, for a while, I was really uncomfortable labeling myself as an investor, a real sure. estate investor. I thought of myself as a, a teacher when I was teaching. And then I even there was even a, a, a time in my life uh, after I was teaching, I had retired, where I, when people asked me what I did, I, it was jokingly, but I said, I'm kind of a janitor because I was doing a lot of the uh, uh, maintenance work on my real estate portfolio and the management work on it. So even at that stage, I was uncomfortable saying, you know, I'm a retired real estate investor. It felt like I was grandstanding or something like that, you know? 
So and we're not encouraged to do that in life. We're encouraged to play small, to be, you know, a little bit humble. And, and we're afraid if we throw ourselves out there, we'll be judged. So it's very understandable. I think, um, you know, people are a little bit uncomfortable with success internally and other people get jealous. So I get you. I hear you. Yeah. I th and I think you can be, you can confidently put yourself out there and let people sort themselves accordingly. If someone sees that as braggadocious, then, you know, they're off to other things. But I, I think if you're honest, it gives you the opportunity to help people because unless someone in your life knows you've been a successful investor, you, you've uh, done well with real estate, they're not going to come to you and give you an opportunity to help them because they just won't understand that that's what you're all about. Totally. Yeah. So you oh, let me uh, address your question. Yeah, I was a teacher, uh, a sixth grade teacher. I was uh, making probably $45,000 per year uh, through my W-2. My wife and I, in very short order, had uh, kids quickly. And I started doing financial math. And I realized this is not, this, the, the math doesn't work. I can't support four kids and a wife on a teacher's salary. Um, you know, the joke, the old joke is what's the difference between a large pizza and a teacher? And the answer is a large pizza can feed a family of four. Uh, and so uh, that I was experiencing that reality. And, um, you know, I, I lucked into it in some ways or, or uh, we, we were acting out of sheer desperation initially, Rock. Um, we had had some real estate failure in our first purchase in our marriage, uh, we bought a condo that, that rapidly lost value in 2007, 2008. We were underwater and we were losing money even with it filled with a good renter. So our first step was in the wrong direction when we invested in real estate. But in retrospect, what's good about this, uh, I look back on that and that experience forced me to be much more intentional with our next uh, two and three purchases and to start looking at the cash flow aspects of ownership. So our second purchase was a uh, owner occupant duplex that we moved into um, as we were having our second child. And we lived in one half of the duplex rock and we rented out the other half. And for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with this term, now we would probably call this house hacking, which is the idea that you are a live in real estate investor. Um, and what that does is it helps to that helps you to collect rent to defray either part or all of the costs, fixed costs of home ownership. So to just uh, to bring that down to earth, at the time when we were doing it, we bought a place, a duplex that had carrying costs of $1,200 per month. And we lived in a two slash three bedroom uh, part of it. And we rented out the other uh, one bedroom apartment, separate entrance, separate everything apartment for $600 a month. And what that meant is that our monthly kick-in was only $600 a month at a time when if we had rented anywhere else, we would have been probably at 10, 1100 a month. So it really saved us a good delta. And those don't sound like huge numbers, but when you're only making $45,000 a year, uh, those are really big numbers. It represented a really large uh, percentage of my income. Yeah, and I want to slide a metaphor in there because one of the things I teach is in life, if you're going to become financially free, increase the amount that you make or earn, decrease the amount you spend or burn, and the remainder you learn to manage it, and then you create an identity as an investor like you talked about before. That's a little uncomfortable for a lot of people because they never really look at themselves as having money or as investors because we are taught and trained to be consumers. Mm. So I break it down into how do you win the days of the week, and it's a rough estimate of where you put your money. So Mondays is food, Tuesdays is transportation, Wednesdays is housing, Thursdays is your monthly, like your Netflix, your telephone, anything you do monthly. Fridays is freedom Friday when you go crazy and you buy a motorcycle or you do things maybe you shouldn't do and blow the budget. On Saturdays is when you invest in yourself, your education, or you pay off your student loan. And Sundays is all about buying cash flowing assets. Now, what, hap what happens on the weekend is most people don't work. So they have no money for further education and they have no money for cash flowing assets. Make sense? Yeah. 
I get that. That does make sense. I think, <laughs> excuse me. Um, one thing that that changed for me, Rock, and one thing that even now, I don't think about it as much anymore, but at the time I really did. And this is probably a lot of your listeners. I, I truly believed because I had chosen, because my 19 year old college freshman self had chosen uh, elementary education as my college major, I thought that that was my etched in granite uh, identity and way of making money for the rest of my life. And so when I started experiencing some money scarcity, you know, when we're having kids and trying to figure out life, I really thought, well, if I had wanted to become financially independent, you know, that I, I should have majored in finance or in pre-med or in uh, pre-law. And I, I really believed that the, the high income train had left the station for right. me in my life, never to return again. And I just want to say that that's a that's a lie from the pit of hell uh, that most people box themselves into. That you think, well, I had my shot at pursuing a, a high income life. It was the four years of college. Now that's gone, and and oh well, I can't change it at this point. So I really thought that. I remember thinking, like, gosh, what am I going to do? I can't quit my job and go back to school, and you know, with kids and a wife, and 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 try to get a, a another degree. I really felt stuck and frozen. Yeah, and so Mark Twain said that education begins after schooling ends, right? And so most people don't realize that. So to, to use your forty-five thousand dollars a year of income, let's call it fifty. That's a thousand dollars a week, or two hundred dollars a day you earned. To weave it into my metaphor, that means that you have $200 on Monday that you make, and that's to cover your food for the entire week. If you spend more than $200 a week on food, you're in debt on Monday, and you fail that Monday financially in the money game. Mm. On Tuesday, you got your transportation. You got to add up all your transportation costs. On Wednesday, your housing. Now, housing, you did, you did well is that you house hacked. So you're able to reduce from 1100 to 600 your expenses on the Wednesday. So now you're doing better on Wednesday because you knew if you didn't, that being the biggest expense, by the time you got to Friday, maybe even Thursday, there'd be nothing left, right? And so Correct. what I teach is people how to win every day so you can pour into the weekend money so you can further your education. And then on Sunday, you can go shopping for cash flowing assets. Hmm. And that's how you win the money game. I think that's good. I think um, for me, um, it was really hard at the time when you're in the middle of it, right? We, you and I are looking at it holistically. We're looking at somebody's uh, W-2 income and then their budget and everything like that. Most people, they, you never, they never get to the point of thinking about that because their mind is so occupied with the duties that they have in their job that's required of them and, or, or, you know, parenting plus doing everything else that they never get the meta uh, cognitive or whatever you want to call it, the 30,000 foot view of, yeah. of life. And so they're never able to analyze or optimize on it. I want to, uh, I'll throw a couple things out for your listeners. One, if you're, if you're watching rock and I right now, and you're listening to this, I think the, for me, the best motivation was, the opportunity to reach a plateau. And here's what I mean by that. Um, nobody, no humans enjoy futility. They don't like working toward nothing, Rock. They want their work to mean something. And so if you tell them, hey, you'll be financially fine if you just park in this cubicle and, and, and grind out the next 45 years, for most people, they, they don't like that offer. They don't know how to get out of it, but they don't like that offer. And so, and even for me, the idea of just being a disciplined person, I mean, I, it's, it's helpful. I want to be a disciplined person, but I never saw it as a good end goal. I, the only time I've been able, ever been able to motivate myself is that the discipline is directed towards accomplishing something, something and, and moving it to a, like a plateau. And here's what I mean by that. If you have uh, school loans, and uh, from going to college, and you know you have to throw three or four hundred bucks a month at them, that feels just like oh gosh, uh, you know I'm making this money and four hundred of it just leaves my wallet every month. But 
it's motivating to people if they can think of it in terms of, all right, if I pick up a side hustle and I use my side hustle, there's a point at which I will completely retire my school loans. And then I have 400 extra dollars every month that I get to keep and that, that will never try to you know, fly out of my wallet again because they've reached a plateau of sorts. And then if they wanna keep their side hustle, they, you know, they have 400 extra dollars or maybe they have 800 extra dollars every month because now there's no loan to pay. Does that make sense, Rock? The, the idea of reaching a plateau. I love that because on Saturday, if you're paying off your student loan and you're, you've got a, maybe a part-time job or a side hustle, maybe that pays your student loan. But think about it this way. If you don't have that student, uh, that, that side hustle, that $400 a month has got to come from food or transportation or your car and you downgrade your lifestyle. And that's why I encourage people when you are maybe a little bit younger or energized, you know, might need to work five and a half, six days a week so that you can start to knock that down. And the more you can pour money into your Sunday, the more you can get another player on the field. You got your duplex. Well, now you've got a little bit of cash. What happened? Did you move out of that duplex and keep it and move into another property? Yeah. For those uh, listeners who are uh, in the United States, I think a house hack, so-called live-in, an owner-occupant investment, it, it might be the best investment out there. And the reason I say that, Rock, is that, um, well, here, here's a good uh, uh, rule of thumb or a good, maybe this is something to help your listeners remember. Big rocks make big ripples. Okay, I'll say it again. Big rocks make big ripples. Small rocks make small ripples. When you're dealing with a house or a, in my case, a duplex, or e even if it's a single family home, let's say you're not a, a living investor like me, maybe you're already parked in your house. Um, I think one thing to realize is that's a, that's a gigantic asset for most people. It's a couple hundred thousand dollars. It may even be over a million dollar asset. And so any way that you're able to optimize that asset, it's going to throw off a disproportionately high amount of money. Um, and it also, for most people, if they're able to optimize their housing, that in general can be the largest uh, monthly budget item. So in, in house hacking, you have an opportunity to affect the two things that really affect our financial future uh, most greatly. That is your monthly housing costs which for most people is the biggest item and the largest asset you'll ever have 100% control over, which is a home. So for my wife and I, yes, we bought this um, duplex, but I should point out, we bought it with what's called FHA financing, which in the United States, that's a government subsidized down payment assistance program. It meant that we were able to buy this duplex using only three and a half percent down payment. So that's key because uh, it, conventional uh, loan products, you need to come up with a 20% down payment in order to buy the asset. And we were at a, a juncture in our lives where Rock, if we had had, we bought for, I think $175,000. If I had needed 20% of $175,000, that's $35,000 in cash. It would have taken me a decade to save that up. Uh, and I don't even know if we've ever gotten it after a decade. So. Uh, being an owner-occupant, I think, makes available to you the ability to leverage a huge asset with a very small cost of acquisition, which is exactly what my wife and I did. And then here, there's two things we did that, in retrospect, were very intelligent. We lived there for three years. After a year and a half, we refinanced out of our FHA loan and into a conventional loan. And that meant that we, we dropped our interest rate, and we also got rid of mortgage insurance, which were extra costs on our housing and lowered our, our monthly fixed costs. We turned the apartment around and got higher rent so that after a year, I think our fixed costs were $1,100 and the rent we were getting was $700. And now we were living there for $400 per month. Uh, that was our kick into our housing. But it also did something else. It meant that we were no longer holding an FHA loan which put us in a position to move out and to go acquire another owner-occupant uh, multifamily property 
using that same FHA loan program and only needing to come up with three and a half percent down payment. So the fact that it's subsidized by our government means it, it makes this caliber of investment grade asset available to the average worker. You don't have to be an accredited investor. You don't have to even have a ton of money. You just have to know how to find a deal like that and to, and to leverage the, the, um, uh, the loan program. And it, and it's the first deal. That's the hardest, right? Scraping your way in there, having the confidence and courage to be a homeowner, finding somebody to rent out, worrying about whether they leave in the middle of the night and don't pay their rent and all that kind of stuff. You got to yeah. muster all that up, get in the game and you realize it's not that difficult, right? Yeah. Well, and at, at the time too, I mean, rock, I was terrified when we bought yeah. this place, my wife and I, uh, Gosh, we prayed for like three days about whether it was the right decision. We asked everybody that we knew who was older yeah. than us whether we should be doing this. And we were terrified. Uh, but you know what? It, it came down to this, Rock. It, uh, I was at a point in my life where investing in real estate represented a risk. And, and you and I both know there are risks embedded in investing in real estate. You can lose. Uh, you can lose big. Um, and I was looking at it as like, okay, these are all the bad things that can happen. This is, this could really be bad. And I finally got to the point rock where I put it on a, a balance scale. Okay. And it was like, all right, here's all the bad things that could happen. If I invest in real estate, like you said, our tenant could skip town or we could find a, have a repair that I don't have enough cash to deal with. Um, we could be in a market that ends up declining, but I finally, on the other side of the balance scale rock, I said, okay, what about the risk of being 85 years old, laying in bed, staring at the ceiling and saying, I never tried. I never gave it a shot. I never took a risk. And you know, Rock, I finally got to the point where that risk was heavier to me than the risk of investing. And I said, I can't just leave this on the table and, and not do it. I've, I've got to try this and at least figure out if it was inside of me to reach this potential. And most people, when they, when they quantify real estate risk, they're only looking at the downside and they're not looking at the lost opportunity costs. They're not looking at the, the lack of development in their character or in their ability to solve problems that they will get by going through it. So I'm not saying there's no risk in investing in real estate. There certainly is. What I'm saying is if you're thinking about it, you've got to weigh the option of inaction as, an, as a risk as well as the, the risk of action. So let's fast forward a little bit. Um, let's tell everybody where you are today and then we'll fill in some of the blanks going backwards because you know, sure. in life, in life, we probably all had a really crappy car at one point in our time, maybe when we were, you know, 16, 17, and then we get later a nicer car. Some of us are into that. I'm not much of a car guy, but I remember my first car was a rusted out Toyota, 200 bucks. Now I have a Tesla, but you know, it didn't happen overnight. It happened over time. And so tell us a little about where you are today financially, what are your assets, and then we'll fill in some of the blanks going back on how you got there. Sure. Uh, my wife and I at this point have a, uh, a real estate portfolio that's worth probably, depending on who's doing the appraisal and when they do it, maybe four and a half million dollars. Um, and we're leveraged. Um, you know, we, our net worth is probably about 2 million. I would say we're just one of my goals for this year is to comfortably push it past 2 million. Um, we just in the last, just before COVID, we kind of bought our, our dream house. That was a big uh, thing on my, on my list. Uh, I have four daughters. And so we finally bought a five bedroom house uh, where everybody gets their own bedroom, except for me. I don't have my own bedroom. My wife and I have to share. But uh, my daughters all have their own bedroom <laughs> and I have my office. So I guess that's kind of my room too. Uh, in the last year, I bought two new cars, newer, not brand new, but you know, that was, we were kind of driving uh, cars that cost us as little as possible. And, you know, I don't begrudge those, those years really of, you know, we lived in a very small house. Um, uh, we, we bought, we drove cars that were just kind of as cheap as we could tolerate because I was still playing the cash flow game. You know, I was doing all this work over here to try to, to grab assets that would generate cash flow. 
to me, it didn't make sense to grab assets that generate cash flow just to have that cash flow go back out the door in consumptive behavior uh, at the same month. So my encouragement to folks who are listening to this would be if you've got a, if you, if cars are your thing or a big house is your thing, or, you know, great vacations are your thing, that's fine. Wait to indulge in those until they cost as much to you as, you know, whatever a stick of gum costs right now, because then it won't hurt your financial chances um, and, and won't destroy capital in the meantime that you should be investing beyond that. So it's a weird dynamic, right? Like I said, big rocks make big ripples. That means these big um, assets that we have in our lives have a disproportionate impact on our financial condition. So like cutting expensive lattes, like is pro that alone is not going to make you a ton of money, right? Because it's just not that big of a, of a budget number for most people. But I say that like, because all at the same time, cutting lattes and then taking the money that you would have put into lattes and, and putting it into investments, that will generate large returns over time. So it's, I, it feels like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but, I, but I'll say you, you do need to cut back if you're putting the slush, the extra into good investments, into education, into stuff like M1 or in another mastermind group that helps you see um, what the next steps are for you. So let's break it down this way. How many streams of income do you have now? Uh, if you treat every door like a separate stream of income, we have 38 doors at this point. I have uh, probably, you'd call my portfolio A minus. Uh, I've shot for the um, millennial sector of our rental market. Most of my tenants are 20 something. They are nurses, they are teachers, they are engineers. Um, and so I have a higher dollar amount per door maybe than most uh, investors would have. Um, but the reason I've done that is because the, that demographic tends to represent less problems of management. You know, they work from eight until six. They pay rent digitally every month. It comes in automatically. My wife and I have figured out uh, how to streamline a lot of the uh, rental processes and we live within two miles of my entire portfolio, which makes self-management, which we still, we still technically right. self-manage, makes it a lot easier. So, so that's what we've done. And that it, it throws off rock uh, at the end of the day, probably $14,000 per month in cash flow income. And then if you add in uh, appreciation and down payment of principal, we're probably around $20,000 per month in, um, in income, both phantom and active, or you know, phantom and cash flow. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and then you have written a book, also. Yes, I have. Yeah, actually, I have it right here. It's called House Hacker's Guide to the Galaxy. It may show up reversed on the the uh, oh, YouTube good. channel. Is it going to be good? Um, yeah, it, it basically chronicles our journey from me being um, in debt, still in college debt, and being a teacher, like I described earlier through this process of us using uh, low down payment, owner occupant real estate to uh, slowly build a, a cash flowing portfolio. But I wanna pause a minute, I wanna throw this out there too, because probably a good number of your listeners rock are already parked in their like forever home or they're in maybe a home where they, their kids go to a school that they, they don't wanna change that up. And so you might, if you're a listener, you might say to yourself, I'm past the point of house hacking. I can't really do that anymore. And so this doesn't pertain to me, but it, it absolutely does because there's ways to house hack. Even if you're in like a, a single family home that maybe doesn't throw off any income by itself. Let me give you an example. The last home that my wife and I were in rock, um, I was at a point in my life where I needed $25,000 to renovate three apartments that I already owned and I didn't have it. And I didn't want to tap uh, family for 25 grand. And I, I just didn't know how to get it. We were in a house that was 1,750 square feet. And it had a sunroom, uh, like a three seasons room that was unheated, but it had electrical circuits and it had windows and it had insulation. So it was not counted as part of the overall square footage of our home. Does this make sense? Yes. And this is our primary residence. We didn't have a whole lot of equity in the home. And so this is a strategy for a lot of your uh, listeners. 
what I did is one day I finally thought, okay, I'm going to call someone who knows this. I called an appraiser and I said, question, if I add heat to my three seasons room, does that add square footage to my home? Does, do, do, will it will it increase the square footage or do I have to get it cleared through like the county assessment office or you know the city and the appraiser said no when when appraisers come out we usually just appraise it on the basis of its material condition if we had to wait for the county we would wait forever to do appraisals so we just do it as is I said okay great so this room would be counted she said yeah I hung up I called an electrician I said I want your first appointment I'll take I'll take six o'clock in the morning. I'll take six o'clock at night as soon as possible. Get an electrician in here. And I want to put in like a five or six foot uh, electric baseboard heater. And uh, then I hung up with the electrician. I called my bank who have already had all my financials on file. I said, I want to refinance. And at the time, the value of the home would, would, would have probably been about 250. And I said, I want to refinance. I think my home's worth 275. And so uh, I made all, all three of those phone calls in the same day. And I kid you not, four days later, the, the very appraiser that I had called, called me back and said, you're never gonna guess what, what appraisal just landed on my desk, your house. So this appraiser came out, I had had the electric work done. And here's what happened. Instead of appraising our house and pulling comps from the 1,750 square foot set of comps, because we now had an extra 150 square foot, you know, three seasons room with heat, now our house was 1900 square feet and the appraiser pulled comps from the 1900 square foot set, which is a completely different set of houses. And the comps boosted our value to $275,000, which meant I could do a cash out refinance and I accessed that extra $25,000 of liquid cash. I used it to renovate three apartments and it boosted our overall monthly cash flow by about $1,200. And the extra 25 grand in, in, in uh, cash out refi cost me maybe $95 per month. So the monthly Delta was totally worth it. And that was a, that's a way of house hacking that didn't involve me uprooting my family and moving us once again to a new owner occupant house hack. It was that we used the property that we already had for those people who are already in their home, that's probably gonna be the cheapest place that you can borrow capital is your primary residence. We're in markets that are inflating all over the country. You probably have access to equity if you can deploy it intelligently, that all you need to do is free up that equity. So I'm gonna say this, if you're listening to this right now, you owe it to yourself to at least see about getting a home equity line of credit. I'm not saying draw on it. I'm saying make it available because you won't pay on a home equity line of credit until you begin to draw a balance, but you wanna, you wanna make uh, available to you maybe investment income that you maybe you don't have it from your job or somewhere else. You can get it out of your house. It's risky, okay, there's risk, right? But it's actually not risky until you withdraw the funds and you owe it to yourself to see if you can at least have access to those funds. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I love the fact that you break it down there. It makes it really, really doable for people just the way you did it. You know, a lot of people think that millionaires are this fictitious group of people out there that have these, you know, super connections and contacts and, and access to stuff that we don't have. If people haven't read The Millionaire Next Door, that book, it really talks about how it's not the amount of money you make that separates people, it's the management of that money. It's getting into the details like you are, taking advantage of the different type of government assistance, loans, et cetera. So today you have, you have this book, which everybody should get a copy of to get started because it's, Absolutely. you know, you're such a great teacher. I love the way that you articulate things. You've got 38 doors. Um, and so all of those are things that, that you did on Sunday to continue my metaphor, right? You went shopping on Sunday and you took the money you earned throughout the week and saved and, and house hacked and you poured it into this pot on Sunday and then you rubbed your hands together and you created an identity as an investor and you said, "What, honey, what are we gonna do with this money now that's gonna add? And the metaphor is this, your W2 as a teacher, every Monday you got up, you got onto the basketball court and you went out on Monday and you attacked food. That was your opponent for the day, right? And on Tuesday, you got on the field and you attacked transportation. On Wednesday, housing, so on and so forth. But when you added that first door and second door and third door, 
you were no longer on the court alone. Every day you had another player or two. Today you have 38 players. You also have revenue from your book. You may have some, some retirement funds or some other stock investments or a couple other little things that people often forget about that are trickling in there so that Bryce now can become the coach or the general manager of his players on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And he can now back yeah. off and be strategic on what's going to happen, renegotiate interest rates, et cetera. Does that make sense? It does. I think I like the metaphor because it does help you to break it down in terms of your time usage. I'll say this though, in, in, real, in real days of the week, uh, don't wait until Sunday to make moves on a, on a, uh, on your investment stuff. Sometimes look, sometimes it's Wednesday night and rock the millionaires that I know, they leave the, the to-do list in someone else's inbox. Okay. On Wednesday night, they take every action that they have available to them on Wednesday night and they, they make it so that the next thing that's going to happen is the loan officer owes them a call back or the realtor owes them a call back. And they make sure that it's all that they're keeping the, the flywheel spinning. And I would say this too, millionaires preserve optionality. Millionaires preserve optionality. Okay. When I made the phone call to that, um, to that appraiser to see about freeing up equity in my home, Rock, I didn't know where that was going to go. But I knew that, that it wasn't going to cost me anything to call and ask questions and figure out what options are available to me. And so millionaires, I think they make a habit of, of pursuing options. I'll throw, look, I'm going to throw this out, out there too. I'm a real estate investor. I think it's fair to treat a, a real estate offer on a piece of property as an option. It almost operates like an option contract does in, in stocks or you know, in the stock market. If you put an intelligent offer, maybe a, even an aggressively low offer in the hands of a seller and you get it under contract, remember most offers have contingencies. What you've just done is you've given yourself the option of following through and purchasing that piece of real estate or exercising one of the contingencies and getting out of that uh, piece of real estate. But millionaires put themselves in a position where they can take a future option and, and, and make it work. I'll give you one example that I think brings it down to everybody's level, and that's this. When my wife and I sold that house that we had, um, we, it had a, the house had a pool. It was a great house, but it was too small for us. It had a pool. It had a patio. We redid the kitchen. And in May of the year that we sold it, Rock, I went outside and I told my wife, my wife's good at taking photos. I said, please, honey, take a picture of the pool, of the patio. Oh, you know, we had just laid fresh mulch. Uh, the, the flowers were blooming. Uh, the grass was mowed. The light was just perfect in our, in our kitchen. And I had my wife take showing caliber photos of our home and rock with, with nothing on the horizon. I, we didn't know if we were gonna move. We didn't know when we were gonna move. We didn't know, you know what was gonna happen. Um, and, and I even typed up a description of our house, like a showing description of our house. Okay, that September, we did end up listing our house because we saw another house that we wanted to buy and we, we did it quickly. Now, here's the thing. If I had waited until September to take those pictures, you, you cannot get May pictures in September. You can't go back and get, take pictures of the, the May flower bloom in September. But I knew at the time, it doesn't cost us anything to have these pictures saved on our you know, computer hard drive and the description ready to rock and roll. What it does do is it gives me the ability in the future to, to act quickly and to exercise optionality. So we had our house, once we saw the house we wanted to buy, we had our old house on Zillow within 12 hours and we had offers coming in within a week. So millionaires take all the steps to set up optionality for themselves of, of buying a place, of, of passing on a place. And they don't just sit around and wait until metaphorically Sunday, even though they, I like the, the metaphor, they take a little bit of time every day to, to give themselves future flexibility. Yeah, um, 
And you know, the, it's a rough metaphor, but really it looks like this is I had a guy who wanted to win the food game. He really wanted to pour into Sunday every day. So he ate rice and beans for three months, three times a day. And he drove the cost of food down for the entire week. So his cost was 30 bucks a week and he was making $200 a day. He took 170 and poured it into Sunday. Then on Tuesday, instead of driving his car, he got a bicycle and he walked to work and he reduced his, right? And then he got, a, he got, he took overtime whenever he could. So he stretched the gap every day and then he moved into a friend's house and just rented a room and he drove down the cost of his internet and his Wi-Fi and his et cetera. And he poured a whole bunch of money into Sundays and then Sundays he put on his education hat and he says, okay, now what can I buy? So the idea of this metaphor, Bryce, is you know, be conscious that if you go out to dinner on Friday night with your friends to celebrate your hard week of work and you have a really nice steak dinner and a $200 bottle of wine, you blew your entire food budget for the week in one sitting. Is that what you want to do, right? If you need that BMW convertible when you're 23 years old and it's going to cost you more than you can make to cover it and you go out Friday nights, you're never going to have anything left for the weekend of life. And that's how you create freedom. So it's just a metaphor. Yeah. It actually works in reverse order is the consciousness is, you know, to win Sundays and Mondays by winning Monday to Friday. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And then you're, it, what, the other thing you're saying is treat your life like it's a company. And people don't yes. do that. You know, if you are the CEO of your life, and you see, if you're the CEO of a company and you see money going out the door, you owe it to investors to go and find out why you're losing all this money on food yes. That's, yes. You know, that's leaking out of your company and to say, look, we're going to drive this down by having rice and beans and, and, and killing this cost. And most people, they, they think they aren't an investor until they maybe acquire their first big asset or something like that. But in reality... This, this kid you're talking about, he, he adopted the mindset that he's already an investor and he needs to drive his net operating income way up by reducing his costs and increasing the, the money coming in. I think that's the, the healthy attitude to take. Most people never get there and they think, I'm not an investor. I don't own right. real estate. No, you already are. Yeah. And that's why you're in the money game, whether you believe it or not. And in your case, you know, you started to be acutely aware of the need that with kids, you know, that you were producing $45,000 wasn't going to make the cut. And so the circumstances forced you to pay attention. Sadly, most people don't pay attention to the circumstances. They just wait until it's too late. So my whole thing with my podcast, Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life, and why I'm talking to you is that when you become part of M1 like you did, you started to have an opportunity to change your identity, to become more comfortable with being an investor. You came to multiple events. You hung around other people that were doing it, and you started to see how you could leverage your time, your money, your experience, and make better decisions. I remember having a conversation with you pre-COVID where you made some you know, some moves with the, the assets you had in order to protect your family in preparation for the what if factor. And that comes from experience. Why don't you elaborate a bit on that? We have a few minutes left, so keep it brief. Yeah, for M1, uh, you know, I already felt like I was successful prior to M1, um, but it was because I was hanging around people who were not any farther along than I was. I, by, by comparison, I was more successful. But when I joined M1, that was what, you know, really helped me to cast uh, a bigger vision. I was around people who I felt like were a decade or two ahead of me in the, the money game. And you, Rock, and some other folks in M1 pushed me to say, okay, let's get past a million dollars in net worth. That's going to mean acquiring more assets. I was terrified, once again, at the time to do that. But it really helped me to take on that intentionality and accountability of, of growing my portfolio. And yeah, pre-COVID, uh, gosh, no one has known what was going to happen with COVID. I even made some, I would say, in retrospect, poor choices now uh, headed into COVID just because I didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody did. I thought my tenants were all going to you know, lose their jobs and I wasn't going to be able to collect rent anymore. So I had to scramble to do that. In, in, in actuality, the opposite happened. Uh, we renewed rents and everything went up and I haven't had a day's vacancy in the midst of COVID. So 
you, you don't know exactly what's going to happen, but M1 prepared me to, to uh, make quick moves, to free up liquidity, uh, and to operate as a shrewd investor who um, you know, can, can deal with whatever the future is going to uh, throw at me. It also gave me the confidence to say like, hey, look, my best asset is my ability to problem solve. Um, and, and that was something I, I really needed from M1 and that I've gotten that, you know, you, the way you operate is actually, that's actually your most important asset. I said, your biggest asset is housing. It's not, it's yourself and how you operate every day, the disciplines, the habits, the opportunities. And then, you know, after that maybe is housing, but yeah. M1 really helped me between, between the ears. Well, you know, I have a I saying, as you know, called say yes and figure it out later. And that came from me growing up on a farm and my father sending me out to do chores and me not knowing how to do it. 11 year old kid trying to fix a broken window with putty and not knowing how to manipulate the tools and asking him for help. And he would almost always say to me, I'm not going to show you, you can figure it out. Just look at the way the finished window is and figure it out. You got this. And so my mind started to search and look for, okay, what would work? And I, I made mistakes, but failure doesn't define you, it refines you. And bit by bit, I became my best asset by realizing that I can figure it out. And so putting yourself into the field of possibility, getting in the game and surrounding yourself with people like Bryce, pick up his book and start to get toward your first um, house hack. And I bet you, if you sent Bryce a message, cause I know him, he would be willing to, you know, jump on a call or send you a message, you know, when he's not teaching his four girls and running his household or managing his business, but he genuinely wants to help people. And, and that's how you evolve and change and expand your identity. So let me ask you this, Bryce, three years now or so, I know you, um, you had an identity as a teacher and as, as a, as a janitor. When you use that metaphor, because you used it, right? And you even language yeah. that way and told people that. And now yes. you have a different identity. How would you characterize that one? So I would say, it's funny, Rock, um, Rock, we had a conversation. I'm not sure if you remember this exactly, but I resisted the idea of like a, a mental script, okay, or, or self-talk. Uh, because I just thought it was so hokey and, and pretend. And, um, you know, in, in, um, on your goal cast video, uh, you talked about set, telling yourself, I'm the number one real estate agent in, in greater Montreal. I'm the number one real estate agent in greater Montreal. When, it, when that was not true, you were not when you were saying that to yourself. But what you were doing was trying to repetitively reinforce an identity that you wanted to live into. Okay. My skeptical approach to that was that's so hokey, that's so silly, right? And I think I even said that at one of the events. And and Rock, you I think wisely pointed out to me, you said, Bryce, you already have an internal script that you're saying to yourself. So like don't skeptically say, Oh, it's stupid this idea of having an internal script, because you're operating with one and you just haven't acknowledged what it is. You're already telling yourself something every day. And then you said, I'm just saying that you be intentional about what you tell yourself and that you set it as an aspirational uh, script instead of just a reactive script. And, you know, for me, whatever reason, that really resonated with me because I was so smart. I was so cynical. I was so skeptical that I wasn't going to do this hokey self-talk practice. And the reality is, Anybody listening to this, you already have a self, self-talk practice. You're already doing it. Why not be intentional about it and turn it into what you want to be and then start reinforcing your, your thoughts with that? That was a big change for me, Rock, and, and thank you for that. I don't know if I've ever thanked you, so thanks. Well, you have now, and you know, as usual, um, you articulate things so well. So if you're listening to this, I really encourage you to get Bryce's book because he makes it, for me anyway, fun to learn. And he makes it easy to want to take the next step. And so take that next step for yourself. Purchase a piece of real estate that can create some cash flow for you. Win your Sundays by winning the rest of the week bit by bit. 
and surround yourself by people like Bryce or myself so we can help you become the whole life millionaires that you deserve to become and that the world is allowing all of us through so many different vehicles today to become that type of person. Parting words, Bryce, as we wrap up. Start right now. As soon as you hear this, as soon as you stop listening to this particular YouTube video or podcast, do make the call. You've got some email that needs to be sent out or some call, or you know somebody who can give you the, the next steps. Don't pause. Do it right now. Don't watch another podcast right afterwards. Go take one step and start it. And you'll, you'll realize it's a snowball that, that accumulates more and more uh, snow. <laughs> I don't know, money, <laughs> snow, whatever, as you go forward. That, that, that analogy fell apart right in the middle of the analogy. Uh, <laughs> begin acting right now towards that and, and treat your life like you're the CEO of your life. Yeah. And to piggyback on you, Bryce, you know, look at each day like you can win each day. Maybe you've got an expensive car lease you can't get out of for now, but you can make some new choices around food, eat out a little bit less, save some money. That's the biggest place that I usually work with people. People I work with usually can save four to six hundred dollars a month uh, by just being intentional from Monday to Friday. Make your weekends better. Get yourself in a position for some new choices. And uh, in the meantime, you know, just get a side hustle, do something that improves the gap between what you earn and what you burn. And you'll soon have choices on Sunday to purchase some cash flowing assets, get some players on your, on, on the court with you. So you're not alone with your W2 and you can win the money game. All right, Bryce, thank you so much for being with us on this special edition. We usually go 25 minutes. We've gone almost an hour because you just kept on dropping such gems. For those of you that are listening, this has been a special edition of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life with our whole life millionaire, Bryce Stewart. And thank you for joining us. If you like this, make sure to subscribe, share with other people, because when you become a whole life millionaire, your family benefits, and that's what we're after, is making the whole family win by you winning the money game. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.